you have to get used to disappointment, which is why I'm so grateful for the Boys Choir of Harlem, which taught me you can work your behind off and not get something. And I was working, working, working. And it, it, but here's the thing, the beauty of this business is you just need one yes to change everything. It's like winning the lottery. You just need that one yes. You don't need to go yes all the time. You just need, everybody's not Sam Jackson. You just need that one yes that changes your entire existence. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I am really excited for today's guest. But first, before we get to that, how are you? I am more than fantastic especially considering today's guest, but I have a question for you. Okay. Have you ever wanted to run away and join the circus? Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who, hasn't, right? Who hasn't? You know, when I was 11 years old, I taught myself how to juggle. And I was like, all right, like, this is it. Like, I, I can juggle. Like, what next? I, I need to learn to ride a unicycle. Uh, last night, my wife and I we were watching Modern Family, and Phil Dunphy is learning how to tightrope in his front yard. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I want to learn to do that. Yeah. The amazing talents and skills uh, seen in the circus are nothing short of aspiring. What about you? Um, I don't know that I've ever said, hey, I want to run away and join the circus, but I've always been fascinated by the spectacle of it, certainly uh, of the traveling component. I love to travel. I love to, um, you know, I think being in a, in a seasonal business, I've always loved that process of closing down and then and then building back up. And the circus does that all the time. And then traveling as a community that that has always been something that's really been fascinating to me. Um, but I don't know that I've ever said those words. I want to run away and join the circus. Um, but I but now that you've mentioned your skill, can you still juggle? I can still juggle, but all the other things I mentioned, I, I can't quite do. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that all ties into uh, our guest today. Jonathan Lee Iverson, also known as the last ringmaster, has a long career with Ringling Brothers, um, now is with Omnium. And to just listen to him talk, it's not just about being in the ring and being the, the ringmaster of a circus. There's so much more depth to what he brings to the table. And I, I'm just, I've just been inspired by everything that he had to say. Hundred percent. I think the word "inspired" it probably best sums up what this interview was. I, just from the impact that he's had on people's lives, the impact that other people have had on his life, uh, living in that community with the. He, I mean, he even talks about just the just the train that was you know that was their home, and they you know they lived on that and you know worked together and. Uh, the the social environment, the family dynamic of, of all of that uh, was amazing to hear about, as well as just the, you know, like we said, the impact that he has had on people's lives. 
Um, I think we could go on and on about how amazing this interview was, but I would say let's just get straight to hearing it from the ringmaster himself, the last ringmaster, Jonathan Lee Iverson. Jonathan Lee Iverson, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We are so excited to talk to you today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. So to get this started, can you just give us just a quick overview of your career background? Well, it's very boring. Um, you know, I, I started out in a little dinky boy choir in New York City, uh, the world-renowned boys choir of Harlem. Uh, dinky, that would be hardly, uh, I would never even call it that, to be honest with you. It was uh, the, the great first, uh, I, I always call it the, the first time I learned you have to actually work for something. Um, I was 11 and I ventured into this, um, what I, I didn't know it was a world-class institution. And um, I thought I could just go in there and be cute and start performing, but who knew? Uh, it was a great experience. It opened up the whole world to me, um, the world of music, but also just culture and um, just gave me this idea that there are so many different options. And so that was the Boys Choir of Harlem for me for eight years. And I was privileged to go to LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, which the, uh, the legendary film fame is uh, based on. And uh, then I ventured from there to the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut of the University of Hartford. And um, I was on track to become an opera singer. Um, that's what I wanted to study and do. And um, I got my undergrad degree. Who knew what I was going to do with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, re. <laughs> and um, I was, I was going to venture off to Europe and, and study there and, and just, you know, live and study and grow and, you know, become a world famous opera singer. That was the, that was the goal. And a uh, funny thing happened on the way to an audition where I was <laughs> looking for a gig to raise money so I could make that trip to Europe. Um, I ran smack into the director of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, who so happened to be looking for, and I quote, a singing ringmaster. And I looked at him like he had three heads. Because um, I, I mean, I knew of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. I didn't know what a ringmaster did. I was familiar somewhat, some guy in the top head who made noise, I guess. But um, I had no idea they had an extraordinary musical legacy uh, that is Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. And um, I never in my wildest dreams considered that to be a career um, that you go down. You know, circus people are otherworldly. They're different than us, um, as I would humbly find out. And, uh, you know, I was up against 30 other candidates. So this was a serious thing. You know, it was one of those being in the right place at the right time type of deals. And, uh, well, obviously um, that turned out to be wonderful. Uh, we made some history in the process. I became the first New Yorker, uh, youngest, and the first black American to hold that title uh, in the 129 years that it existed at that time. Uh, the total of 146 years, um, I was with them for the very last show. And um, it was great. I mean, you know, you travel all over, it's, it's like a, I call it like a, a nonviolent <laughs> political campaign. That's what it feels like to be ringmaster of the greatest show on earth. Nobody's digging up stuff on you, thank goodness. Um, it was great. I mean, wonderful, uh, best time of my life. Um, you know, I, I, I see why we're looked at, circus people are looked at as otherworldly. Um, you normal people are boring. 
<laughs> it was just great, man. It was a lot of fun. Your co-worker, my co, when your co-workers of five ton elephants and 600 pound tigers, I mean, you know, everything else is boring. Uh, I had the great privilege of working with some of the most amazing artists you'll ever find, innovative. Uh, uh, physical bodies were just extraordinary. And I also was privileged enough to um, meet my wife and we, you know, ventured on the road together. Uh, she actually came over to this country as a dance captain via Brazil. And uh, she worked her way up to becoming the production manager of the entire uh, show which meant she uh, ran my life full time. So it was um, really wonderful. It was just the, it was the best way. You know, I always said I, I got to make a living while having a life. And so um, it, it was just, uh, it was very enchanting. So that that's me. Um, after that, I've been doing, you know, a bit of this, a bit of that. Like every performing artist, you have to have like 30 streams of income <laughs> going at the same time. So I've done operas, I've done plays, I've done voiceover, hosting, uh, as I did with the wonderful IAPA um, uh, 2019 Expo. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was just, it was like being in, I always tell people, if you're a kid, just imagine going to see everything wonderful you've ever imagined all in one place. And so uh, that was a lot of fun. Very cool. Well, Jonathan, I learned something. I, I done some background on you, you know, before this and certainly saw you at, at IAPA back in 2019. Um, did not know that you were, um, you know, a professionally trained musician and and that was the path you were going to go down. I actually went to music school myself. I was going to be a music educator and uh, decided that that was not my path. Um, so now I do something completely different, but I take a lot of lessons from that training and, and from that, uh, that experience. So I'm curious what sort of lessons you're taking from an, being an opera singer and a classically trained musician, how has that helped you be a ringmaster? You know, uh, I, I, all my lessons are rooted really uh, in the Boys Choir of Harlem. I was one of those really privileged souls that um, I didn't know it at the time. Of course, when you're a kid, you know, your teachers just suck, right? They're just horrible people. And, um, you know, you just can't wait to get out of that rehearsal space. But um, boy, the lessons that I got from there guide my life almost in everything, even in how I raise my children. Um, it really gave me a great, great foundation as to um, knowing how to accept failure, um, knowing how to um, really use the tools that you do have, um, really knowing the importance of being, being grounded and knowing the importance of your fundamentals, you know, um, and what I, and, and so all of these things are transferable. The biggest thing, so if I could tell you, just the, I guess the, the top things are, are basically know your craft, um, work like the devil, and, and build relationships. Um, those were the three pillars of the Boys Choir of Harlem that I carry with everything and everything. And, and it's transferable with everything, um, especially building relationships. And so when I ventured into being a ringmaster, those uh, transferred perfectly, you know, considering all the people I was constantly meeting from heads of state to just the regular kid who's just there starry eyed over what they're seeing, knowing how to, to, to handle yourself in the, that kind of situation. There were certain advantages. Um, obviously I had good vocal training, which I needed um, because, it, you know, 
our circus performing schedule is rigorous as they come. Um, we're talking at least 450 shows a year, uh, always three show Saturdays. And these weren't little dinky showcases. Oh, how are you doing, boys? These were full out productions. I never left the floor. I'm singing and announcing, uh, you know, plus doing interviews in between shows. All sorts of things are going on. Um, so it was so critical that I had really great vocal training. Um, and more importantly, I, I had a sort of like growing up, I had like a, a work study type of training. So I wasn't just training to be a musician and training to be a singer. I was training to perform. We were always performing. So there were just things, instincts that were sharpened from the doing that I brought into what I was doing at Ringling Brothers, which were further enhanced because that's a whole different animal uh, when you have to perform with just when you, you're performing in a show that is completely alive. And what I mean by that is anything can happen at any time. We always had a set script and choreography and a whole, you name it. We had all that stuff going, but there was never a show that I ever performed that went exactly the way it was supposed to go. And it's, it never did. And so you have to have a supple mind. You have to be prepared to change things up on a dime, cut things out, improv, whatever. So all of that came in handy from, you know, my, my training as a performer altogether. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, there was one thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago too, and that was when you said that you were up for the role of ringmaster, master, you were up against 30 other people. I've got to imagine that those were 30 very talented people. So curious, what set you apart? What got you above and ahead those that ended up getting you into that role? Clearly, they weren't talented enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you know, I, I, I can't tell you, you know, this business is fickle. And one of the hard lessons, and, and I hope there are performers out there who are listening, who are thinking about going into this business, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, there's the large majority of your life is going to be no. You're a salesperson. <laughs> so ask any salesperson, the large majority of your life is going to be no. Um, and nine times out of 10, it will have nothing to do with your talent. You know, I've gone on countless auditions where it was clearly not my talent. I wasn't the size, I wasn't the type, I wasn't what they were looking for, for a variety of reasons. I literally had producers tell me that, like stop me in the middle of my audition. And I mean, I'll never forget this one producer. I mean, he was shaking his head. He's like, my goodness, you would be so perfect if you weren't so tall. That's what he said. He said, you're just too big for the role. He said the leading lady who was a name uh, in the industry, and he was like, you would be so perfect, your voice is right, you all would blend right, you're just, you're so tall that it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't, we were supposed to play romantic leads, he said, it wouldn't come across right, you look like, she looked like your daughter, and I got it, I said, okay, so, you know, I mean, this is about, you know, just, it's literally about a stubborn, stubborn way of just grinding and getting out there, and you have to get used to disappointment, which is why I'm so grateful for the Boys Choir of Harlem, which taught me you can work your behind off and not get something. And I was working, working, working. And it, it, but here's the thing, the beauty of this business is you just need one yes to change everything. It's like winning the lottery. You just need that one yes. 
You don't need to go yes all the time. You just see everybody's not Sam Jackson. You just need that one yes that changes your entire existence. And that's what the circus did to me. I happened to be exactly what they were looking for um, at the time. I, it was just, you know, the right place, the right time. Um, I was in the condition for it. Uh, and, you know, I'm thinking, listen, it's called Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, and I want to hit the Barnum. I mean, if we're thinking in terms of selling this show, there, you know, that decision was just, wasn't just made on my talent and my good looks. It was also made on marketability. Okay, we have a native New Yorker. New York is our biggest market. And he's got an incredible story with an institution that is uh, very well respected and loved in New York. I mean, it was, I mean, they're PR people. I can only imagine that they're press people at, at, at Feld Entertainment, Ringling Brothers, and their marketing people kind of did backflips and said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like the work is there. So, um, and then to add the historical components to it. I mean, after all, you know, you have to remember this is always going to be a business. And business is a bigger word than show. And so uh, that's, uh, I think that really factored into the decisions. And quite frankly, it proved uh, correct because we broke records um, upon that. I mean, they had a stellar uh, media campaign for me. I mean, I was famous for a good year and a half. I was like, man, I was all over the place. I, it was great. And, but I, I really got to understand, okay, this is how this stuff works. So it, it, a lot of things go into it. It always, it takes a village. It really takes a village. <laughs> and I think that's what happens when it goes into um, the decision-making as to who uh, a person wants or what have you, when it comes down to, um, um, you know, picking a talent for a particular production. Yeah, it's just fascinating how that all works out. And I love how you say you just need one yes, right? And then that's when your, your training and your personality kick in to take advantage of whatever opportunity is in front of you. So I just, I just love that, that part of the story. Um, also interesting that you were the last, literally the last ringmaster, right? You were at the last show for Ringling. Um, but now there's, there's kind of rumblings that the, the circus might be coming back. So kind of, can you kind of walk us through that? What does that mean? And, um, you know, are we really getting uh, the Ringling Brothers Circus back? You know, from, all, uh, from what I'm hearing, that's, that appears to be the case. And so I'll be the last ringmaster with an asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, you know, and listen, I look, of course, obviously, um, just as a, a performing artist, I, I think anything where, you know, you'll have more performers out there working and, and, and show people working, and that means crew and all the things that go with it, I'm all for it. So obviously, um, I think it's exciting news that they're preparing to bring it back. I wish they didn't take us through the emotional toll of closing it four years ago, but it's what it is. Um, and I understood why they had to close it four years ago. I mean, the business just was not doing well. And um, I think they also were reminded of how much it meant to the public because we take things for granted. And when we announced back in 2017 that we were gonna close, it was like we suddenly turned into the hottest ticket in the country. 
It was like crazy. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, all this media, everybody wanted, like the very people who neglected us. And I would, I kept running into people who were like in tears, grown people, like, you know, I kept neglecting it. I was, oh, maybe next year, next year, next year. And now it's like, and so I think that, I think when I saw that, I knew, okay, we'll come back at some point because the people who run it are very smart people. Um, and, you know, the, the number one uh, superpower of a business person is being an opportunist. And they had to clearly see, okay, th there's still a market for this. For, I mean, because every show, every show was sold out right after. I mean, we, were, we weren't doing very well before then. It was so weird. The shows were great. Um, but all of a sudden we said, okay, we're not doing it anymore. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, you know, it's like that breakup. It's like, it's like that, 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 you know, that girlfriend you keep neglecting and you know, she's fine, but you keep neglecting her. And then she said, okay, I'm out of here. And then all of a sudden you're begging at a door. And so that's what it turned into. And um, it was beautiful to see. And um, I always sensed it was going to come back. I always sensed it was going to come back in some, uh, some uh, way, shape or form. I'm curious to see how they, uh, wish to do it because I know there have been significant changes, but that's their business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, however they cast it, however they, they run it. I wish nothing but the highest success for it um, because, you know, listen, I think it's necessary. It's not lost on me that um, upon our closing, and maybe it's because I was in this wonderland for 17 years, but upon our closing, our country went into this very ugly, ugly space. It's like we went into this ugly, divisive, grotesque space that we're still trying to work ourselves out of, where people are really stubborn about their tribes. And it's shocking to me because I'll meet some people who are in their little tribes and they'll find out what I used to do. And oh, I love that. And I'm thinking to myself, and do you realize that you, your mouth was gaped open and you were cheering for a bunch of immigrants and gay people and black people. And you never once thought, you know, of them being different. You just were sh stunned by their talent. And here it is, we can't like, I mean, you can't get along with your neighbor. You know, it's just, it's just weird to me, you know? I mean, but you know, that's people. I think, um, I think the circus, as Ernest Hemingway said, is good for you. It's a societal good because we're bringing to you things you otherwise probably wouldn't have access to. We're bringing you the animal kingdom at its finest. I mean, there's so much to learn about animals. I mean, just being around them in that kind of setting and, and seeing their personalities and that they're more than what we, we, we love to contrive. They're, they're much more, they have personalities. You know, uh, and yeah, and that's what I learned there. And we also have the 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 wonder of bringing just so many different nations and cultures and languages to you that you get to meet up close and personal, and you get to see how wonderfully different this world is, and and how even in those differences, there's this extraordinary commonality mm -hmm. that goes along with it. I mean, that we definitely enjoy because, you know, a lot of people don't realize circuses operate a bit different than your regular touring shows in that we're literally a community. We, I mean, at least with Ringling Bros, we traveled and lived on a, uh, a mile-long circus train. 
So we had a city without a zip code. It had a, a food court, a whole bit, you know? I mean, we weren't just going to perform at the particular venue. We were going home living with each other, barbecuing. It was like we were just going back going back into town and, and that's what we do. It was our society. And we were bringing that society to every other society. And I think that to me was the biggest joy of it was that we were pumping our, our, our brand of joy into the world. And there's no way in the world you could come to Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey show and not be happy and, and not be lifted afterwards. After all, I mean, we're serving you bad food too, cotton candy and popcorn or what have you. I mean, good Lord. I mean, it's like, and, and your imagination is taken to places you can you could never conceive. I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, way, I think, to spin your life, giving people that. As Barnum said, the, the, the noblest art of all is making other people happy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And Jonathan, I'm curious too, as far as your perspective or what the conversations were like with, with your coworkers, with your community that you were living with and traveling with, as you were able to see the, I would say the evolving trends in, in perceptions that, you know, ultimately led to, you know, a lot of backlash uh, and, and part of the reason for, you know, for the decline as well, um, being so conflicting with everything that you were seeing internally as, as far as uh, just with, you know, with everything with, like you said, the, the animals have a personality and, and everything with that. What was that like being, I would say, on the inside of that? And for you, and, and like I said, in your community? You know, I think, I love the question because it's something I think all of us go through at some point, right? You know, I think there's nothing more offensive than you live in this house. You know what goes on in this house. You know how things operate in this house. And there's some person who just walks outside your house and just walks around and just makes up stuff and starts pointing at its house and saying, they're eating children or something. They're, 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 I mean, just making up things. And at first it's funny. First you're kind of like, that's strange. But it becomes dangerous when a crowd starts gathering and starts believing it. And all of a sudden you have a crowd out there saying the same thing. You're going, wait a minute, you all have actually been here. <laughs> you know, like you, you visited. I mean, that's what, so it, it's just, it's the, you, you never can underestimate the power of propaganda. I, I can tell you, it was always to me, you know, it was always an unfair fight. Because if you understand, especially with regards to animals and animal training, a true and dedicated and good animal trainer doesn't have days off. They don't like, and they're not rich. This is something that they are. And that to me is what makes circus most special is nobody's doing that because, well, I, I just couldn't make it somewhere else. Everybody there from the crew member to the ringmaster, whoever you are, it, you're literally there because either the circus called to you or you ran away and did it, you know? And, and there's something about it that, causes you to be so impassioned about what you do that you are willing to give up everything else and comforts or what have you. And that's what happens in that society, especially with animal trainers. You know, I mean, those animals, 
need your consistency. And, you know, to hear many of the vicious things that would be said about them really took me aback. And so I would use my voice as ringmaster to defend as much as possible. I would write um, civic leaders. I would write uh, uh, elected officials who were thinking about signing some ordinance of something they didn't know about, but it just sounded politically expedient, and which I thought was intellectually cowardly, and I thought it was just grotesque and offensive, because you wouldn't do that with any other, even if half the stuff was true. Let's just say for, that we do have some bad apples. I mean, that's what we say with law enforcement. We have some bad apples, right? I mean, forget the casualties, or we have some, so fine, let's go with that argument. And not and you, if you go to any uh, elected official and say, okay, well, let's disband the police. They wouldn't think of that. It wouldn't cross their minds because it's not politically expedient to do so. But circuses are generally family-owned operations. They're really small businesses. And usually they don't have what it takes to fight back. And a lot of these organizations that are the critics and the bullies of this stuff, they're very well-funded, heavily well-funded. And so it doesn't matter what they say. They have enough to keep going, going like literally they'll take people to court. And even in the courts where they'll say, this is a frivolous thing, they, they've done it enough to the point where the, 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 the show goes under because they're broken from court fees and all this stuff. I mean, it's a hard life to be in. People don't go into it to get rich. You go into it because you love it. This is a part of you. It's a part of who you are. And so if you can imagine somebody's telling you what you are is just this vile offense. And what makes it even more grotesque is that they have no evidence of it. They just make it up. And so we have now the very word circus is actually used as this vile thing to describe chaos and disorder, which is strange when you consider that it was Ringling Brothers who taught the US military logistics. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're very, or we know how to keep order in this madness. We know what to do, you have to, or people might die. You know, so it, it's one of these things where I've, I've taken it to, to where I think what it has to do with is I think it's so strange for people to see the very things that they give lip service to actually working. The fact that you have all of these people of so many different backgrounds who, for whatever reason, they take all their different unique talents and, and abilities and they put it into this beautiful pot called circus, this circle, and they just make it work and they make it work. And really it's a testament, it's a template, if you will, for the rest of us. Like we can make this thing called life work. We, uh, you know, it doesn't mean political, all this stuff. There, there are commonalities. If we get to the commonality, the commonality for the circus is the show. Mm -hmm. We want this show to be the most amazing thing for you. I wish our politicians would understand that with regards to the country. Commonality is the country, not your own hideous little ideology. It's about the country. What, what works best for the country? Okay, let's get to there. We can kill each other later. I'm not saying circus people always get along. There are people who I don't care to see anymore. <laughs> but if you say, hey, 
if we're going to get from point A to point B in this show, some of those people are saying, yeah, you got to get that guy. <laughs> you know, and that's how we work. We understand that the end goal is always the show. And I wish um, pe more people would understand that. Get your end goal. The end goal is really the whole not just your own self-interest. And I think that's a lesson, not only for nations, I think it's a lesson for families. I think it's, you know, for institutions anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. So I'll be writing in your name in the 2024 ballot for president, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. I'll be your campaign manager. Um, but um, I do want to shift a little bit because we've been talking a lot about Ringling, but there's another circus in town, if you will, Omnium, that you are the... Um, uh, are you a ringmaster for them as well? Yes, I am. I'm the ringmaster for Omnium, uh, a bold new circus, omniumcircus.org. Thank you for mentioning them. We, uh, you know, it's the, it's the dream trial of a wonderful, wonderful uh, circus veteran by the name of Lisa B. Lewis, um, who's always used her particular, um, her, her gifts in circus to really serve the underprivileged, uh, the audiences that not necessarily would be able to maybe afford a circus or even, you know, um, just aren't able to do it because of infirmities. You know, she has a, a, a very big heart and a very big, um, big imagination with regards to how we can broaden the tent and not only and, and not and the beauty of Omnium is she's not doing we're not doing this tokenized way of of bringing uh, more talents in. But the real mission is to normalize us seeing whether it's multi multiracial, whether it's multi-able-bodied, whatever it may be, normalize us seeing it at seeing them at their highest level. You know, when you see uh, <laughs> uh, Jennifer uh, Bricker Bauer, you know, this woman's born with no legs and you see her aerial routine, you're blown away. Her backstory is extraordinary. It's like, I mean, she's one of these people I tell her all the time. I said, I hate talking to you because I don't have any excuses in my life. You know, like she's like, she's just one of those people. Like I'd hate to have her as a coach in anything, man. Cause it's like, you just, what are you going to say? She literally grew up in a home where they they like normalized who she was and they told her you can't you, you're not able you're not allowed to say can't she grew up like that so she just grew up with this and that's what she's bringing to this tent along with so many others I mean and, and one of the other things we have obviously we have sign language and all those things we want to it's multi-sensory the the idea is to really us all on board to truly uh, not just diversity but what inclusion actually looks like where people aren't asking you for anything they're just asking for a chance and and that to me has always been the magic of circus it's like okay if you what, what do you what do you bring what do you bring what do you bring here that's going to enhance this thing we we do and, and that's really what we're, we're just expanding what it means. I mean, we've always had different types of bodies in circus one way or the other. There's a wonderful circus, I think in the UK, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was, I think it's literally called Extraordinary Bodies. And <laughs> their circus focuses on those we would consider disabled. I'm always careful with that word because, I mean, you see 
folks perform. And it's like, well, who's disabled? You know, it's like, I mean, are you kidding? And so we have just that whole, what we're really doing is really celebrating the depth and breadth of the human family in all its, in all its incarnations um, at Omnium and thus the name. And so um, it, it's really an exciting venture. It's a nonprofit. So we need your money, please. Um, you know, uh, it's great because we have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, ambitions. Uh, there, there are many things we want to do. Uh, we want to continue our work in reaching uh, children in children's hospitals and after school programs and library programs. You know, we're going to have a virtual component that we'll continue with, as well as our live show we're looking to really put up. And we're actually in the midst of raising money to put that up as well. So we want to, as the name says, Omnium, we kind of want to be everywhere. Um, but we really want to push that mission of really just exposing children of all ages to the best of themselves, how, whatever uh, package that they come in. And um, I think the ultimate goal is that we get to a place in our society where we're not looking at people like, you know, oh, that's kind of, we're, kind of, we're just going, okay, well, what do they bring? Where it just becomes normal. I mean, when I was in Ringling Brothers, I'll tell you, with myself it's so interesting because my the my final seven years was i had uh, i was working alongside this amazing artist named paulo dos santos uh from brazil and uh he's a little person and um, my only objection when i was coming back is like, i don't want to be partnering with anybody that was my thing and what is this oh, man this guy what is he gonna do what is he gonna do there's a little guy next to me he's not gonna be able to do anything ah yeah okay this dude is like a, he's a he's a master capoeira martial artist, right? And so he's literally a badass. Um, one of the sweetest human beings you'll ever meet. Real gentleman, cool personality, extraordinary performer. Strong as a beast. He would actually pick me up on his shoulders, and I'm like six five. You know, two fifty or something. He would pick me up on his shoulders and squat and spin me around, kids would fall out, man. They would just, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. He's literally, in my opinion, he's the best athlete on the show. Um, he could literally, he could just get his body to do anything. And we, one of the wonderful things I learned from him was resilience. I mean, all the stuff he had to go through um, just to learn his craft. I mean, it's a beautiful story. Um, but it really helped me shed my own particular prejudice you know, and my particular assumptions, especially when he and I would go out and we would do um, lectures at different schools about bullying, you know, bullying was this big thing. So we said, hey, I think we can go out there. And I knew his story. I said, you know, he would be great. Now, English is like his third language and he's not shy to be in front of people. And I tell you, he would have these kids in the palm of his hand when he'd go and he'd, do, he'd tell them his story. I mean, you see kids crying and, and the kids for some reason would open up to us about certain things they were going through because they saw him. Because I always thought, man, it's such a difference. You know, some most of us grow out of the thing we're bullied about. You know, you may lose the weight, the pimples may go away, you may get smarter or what have you, you lose the braces, but what happens if you're is that that's it you're you're going to be this and for him to stand in front of those kids and do that was just a remarkable thing because here he is being successful flourishing confident 
And I think it just did wonders um, for the kids we met with. So in many respects, that's the spirit we're, we're, we're carrying, carrying with uh, this new venture, Omnium, a bold new circus. And we just can't wait to bring it to you in, in, in a live form uh, under our Big Ten and welcome you under the Big Ten. And we want to continue to uh, bring you offerings virtually as well. What I think is so amazing about this is that the, the mission that drives the entertainment uh, has this impact that lasts so much longer than the time that you have your, your audience captivated within your realm or whether, you know, or whether you're out and speaking in schools and things like that. And wondering if you could talk about it from that standpoint of what you experienced as ringmaster for Ringling and then as well with Omnium as well, how that mission continues to, to go beyond and I would say kind of weave into their lives once they're, once they're already home, once they're back into their regular routine to see that, that change and that inspiration and, and improvement in the lives of your audience. It's, it's the ultimate privilege. It's, it's when you realize all that work you go through and all the frustrations, that's why you do it. You know, and that's the part of the ring, the circus ring that is the most sacred is that it, oh, it, get, it got passed along. And I'm convinced that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to hear from or meet the majority of the people we've touched, which is fine. The, the point is to touch them and to, you know, I've been privileged, though, to hear from various people. Um, and you realize how precious time is because, you know, I heard from people who, you know, they're now in college. And I, I received um, I receive letters out of nowhere, and it's always at the right time. Um, I remember receiving one from a young man, and I remembered when I wrote him, when he, when he was detailing what I wrote him, I said, oh my goodness, I remember writing this kid. And uh, he's in college now, and he said, man, I have, he says, sir, I have your, your letter framed uh, on my wall, and I, I always refer to it when I'm feeling a little discouraged and I'm not too sure. Um, he said, I remember you told me to make sure, you know, to keep expanding my imagination and that I can do anything, to always keep reading and stuff like that. I was like, man, this is wild. But he grew up on my voice. I recently <laughs> received a letter from a young man. He actually posted it on his, uh, his uh, social media account. And I think he does public speaking or something. He said, if you want to know where, why I'm so good at this, he had a picture of me. And he said, this is the guy. He said, I was that kid who like every, I hung on every word of his. And I mean, he taught me, he said, and you know, he made mention of the fact, he said, you know, here I am, you know, this young black kid with this ambition and I didn't have any models. And then I go to the circus and there it is. This is the guy. He's in charge of all of this. And he's so eloquent. And he's like, that, that's my model. And I was like, this is wild to me, you know? I mean, you just don't know. I've had mothers come up to me crying, saying how much they needed their children to come see me. You know, I met this wonderful lady in Jacksonville with her two sons and she, they were having too good of a time at the show. I'll never forget it. <laughs> and I was like, man, I got to meet these people because everything impressed them, everything impressed them. And I went over and they were in the front row and I mean, I barely got over there and they like enveloped me in a hug and the mother, lovely lady, she said, you gotta know how, she said, you have no idea how important this show is because we have to come every year. 
because you know my son over here he was dressed like a ringmaster her other son was dressed like a clown she said the one who's dressed like a ringmaster said he's autistic she said I, I mean how do you know how do you tell but she said he's autistic he said his first words were uttered here at a ringling show she's like he, he didn't speak for the first four years of his life and when i brought him to the show he finally opened his mouth and he spoke and she said, that's why we come every year. We have to come every year. So of course, when the show was closing, I didn't think of myself, oh man, what are we going to do for work or whatever? All I thought about was, man, there are people with that kind of connection to this. And it, it tells, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate. I've been really, really blessed to actually in real time meet some of the people and they've thrown some impactful stuff because I'm thinking I may have said something <laughs> You know, just in passing, it was this one little girl, you know, I used to have braces growing up. So when I would meet kids with braces, I could see that little shy to do the kind of half smile. And so I throw some, I say, hey, you're going to be, hey, you have braces. You'll be as good looking as a ringmaster when you grow up. Stuff like that. I throw stuff like that. Well, years later, I meet this girl's father. Comes up to me. I mean, wiping his eyes going, you have no idea what you did for my daughter. And I'm going, what well, he said, when you told her that, she was so shit, she wouldn't talk to nothing. She went to, he said, now she's studying theater. She's in a master's program. That's what she wanted to do. She just started opening up after she met you. And, I, and to me, I'm like, goodness, you know, I'm thinking this little thing I said was just, just to cheer a kid up. I wasn't thinking it was going to change the trajectory of their life. And that's something that I think is so vital for performing artists to understand of every stripe, you're not in this for yourself. And if you are, you're a failure. I don't care how much money you make or how many, much hardware you get. If at the end of the day, there's nobody who can point to you and go, that, that saved my life, that did something for me, or I got this out of that. I mean, and I, I'm not only performing artists, I think in anything, I mean, the world is round man. Evolution is real. It's got to keep going. And so the whole purpose of your life is to literally build, to it's to create a steep standard, right? It's to create a steep standard for the next one. For the next one, you should want the, the guy coming after you to be better or to be inspired in some way. And I'm always amused how like, you know, my one thing, all I wanted to do was be an opera singer, you know? I didn't know that would inspire this kid over here to be a speaker or this kid over here to, to go and do whatever they're going to do or this one to go into theater or what have you. It's just amazing how it just moves people to think broader, you know, and, and that's what I encourage. And that's why I think I always I, I'm, 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 I'm really hard about and I'm hard on myself about it is to remember, remember to do your thing. Re remember to do whatever God assigned you do that, you know, do that. And, and it, this has been corroborated by none other than P.T. Barnum. My favorite quote by P.T. Barnum is this, unless a man enters upon the vocation intended for him by nature and suited to his peculiar genius, he cannot succeed. That hits me like a ton of bricks every wow. time I think about it, because it's so true. You hear about these billionaires and millionaires, everything is all about, oh, who's, who's, who's got the swag? And so many people who are just unhappy with themselves. You could have all that stuff and not be successful because you're not really doing what it is you're supposed to be doing.
Hmm. I mean, we're here by design. And until you align yourself with what it is you're really about, you'll always truly be poor in that sense. Because what it is you're here for is supposed to sprout out and feed others. That's, that's the end goal of it. And you're going to be fulfilled. I mean, I mean, I used to step on the arena floor every day, even when I had a crappy day, which I wouldn't complain about because my workplace was a circus for God's sake, <laughs> you know, but I would like, I literally would stand there sometimes and go, this is what I do for a living. Like, this is what I do for a Like I get to play. Like my coworkers can fly and do daring things. And they think I have this incredible, I mean, I had coworkers, you if you hear them talk about me and my you think I came out of the heavens or something. And we laugh at each other. I have a wonderful friend, she and I are a buddy still this day. She was the first person I met when I got to Ringley. She's this uh, very, she's very short. We would joke about it. And she's from Russia. And I remember when she didn't know like English, obviously I didn't know any Russian but we communicated some way. And as our friendship grew and we learned to really talk to each other, we had so much in common. It was so amazing. We had so much in common because she was really brilliant at what she did. And she would ask me, cause she loved my singing. She loved my voice and she would ask me, she said, how you get so good? How you, cause I can't do that. How you get so good? I said, my teachers were mean. I had these mean, great. She said, mine too, oh my. And we would trade these little war stories and we saw the commonality in it. And that to me is like, it was like that to me surmised what the joy of what I was doing, you know, that I was this fortunate to be around these types of people, good, bad, and ugly, and, and to, to have this life and to know that out of this life, other people's lives were being inspired and touched and moved in ways I, you know, and I still, you know, I'm, you know, I'll probably never know until I get to eternity or something, you know, how far it reached. And I'm, I'm glad to be that God uses me as his conduit in that respect. And so that's my hope for everyone. Let God use you as a conduit and, and do the thing that you know is burning in you. As the great James Baldwin said, you know, go the way your blood beats, you know, go the way your blood beats. And if you go the way your blood beats, everything will fall into place. Well, Jonathan, so many great messages in there, and uh, you, you've been inspiring to me, and I hope for hope our, our listeners as well. And I don't know Barbara Walters, but I can tell why she would think you're one of the most fascinating people ever in the in the world. So um, thank you so much for your time today, Jonathan. If people want to know more about you or Omnium, where would you send them? Well, if you want to know about Omnium, please visit omniumcircus.org. That's omniumcircus.org. You can find me practically anywhere in the in the social media sphere at Last Ringmaster. That is my handle for Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, whatever else they drag me into. Um, I'm also at BigTopVoice.com. BigTopVoice.com. One word. Excellent. 
Jonathan Lee Iverson, the last ringmaster with an asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here on the Attraction Pros podcast. This was uh, just so much fun to be able to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you. Like Matt said, uh, so incredibly inspiring. So just really important messages right there. So thank you. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.